0: So you're listening to Ergo, right? But you want Ergo and all your other podcasts to sound good. That's why you should be listening on Overcast. Overcast is a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless it's Overcast.
1: Get Overcast for free on the App Store. That
2: bonus. Good evening, everyone. I just want to start by... Um, doing a welcome and providing gratitude to everyone um, for being here tonight. Um, We are in a moment of an uprising, um, demanding racial justice and an end to police violence. Um, Chicago Community Bond Fund is an abolitionist project. We are deeply grateful to the many supporters in Chicago across the United States and the world. And we welcome you to the family. Um, The work that we in tonight's teaching Um, I just want to do some level setting. Um, A lot of the folks who registered are new to CCBF, and so we wanted to take the time to, one, say thank you, but also to give you some um, information about what your donation is supporting um, and who we are as an organization and how we move forward. Um, I should start by um, introducing myself. Um, My name is Naya Kelly. I am the chair of the Chicago Community Bond Fund, very proudly to be so, and I am so happy to be your host tonight. All right. And so we have an agenda um, set for tonight, and I know we have more folks joining in, so come on in. Welcome. We're glad to have you here tonight. Um, so um, <laughs> just to say thank you again for coming um, and um, I wanna also take the time, and I, I meant to say this um, when we first started, but I'm glad more folks are coming in as I say this. Um, the work that we do um, isn't in a silo. It, um, we are doing this work because um, there's been an uprising um, in this country. Um, and because of your donations, we've been able to assist with bond. Um, you know, I wanna speak the names of George Floyd, um, Brianna Taylor, um, Tony McDade, um, Jacob Blake, and it's unfortunate that we had we added Jacob's name this week. Um, but for all of the folks who were harmed or who we have lost because of police-related violence, um, and again, thank you all so much for being here. So um, we have a set agenda: um, an opening um, and a grounding, who we are, understanding PIC abolition ending money bond, CCBF's history and accomplishments, questions and answers, and a call to action. CCBF um, supports individuals whose communities um, have been impacted by structural violence and whose bonds are completely out of proportion with their ability to pay. We are committed to building long-term relationships and organizing with people most directly impacted by criminalization and policing people of color, especially Black people, and the poor. I also wanna take this time to lift up um, the folks who have helped us get here. Um, CCBF, it sees itself as an abolitionist project. We have much gratitude to many abolitionist people and organizations in Chicago that have taught, supported, and worked with us for years. And those folks include Miriam Kaba, Project Nia, Love and Protect, Circles and Ciphers, Asada's Daughters, Chicago Torture Justice Center, Black Lives Matter Chicago, Let Us Breathe Collective, Chicago Freedom School, Organized Communities Against Deportations, and many, many more. Like I said before, we know that cash bond is um, a racist system and it disproportionately impacts Black folks. We know that paying bond is getting people out now um, and supporting people while they fight for their cases. Um, and it um, provides, As we also provide education and advocacy um, for pushing for systematic change and sharing stories of um, impacted people. We also want to take a moment to um, also oh, lift up our community. So who we are, we are volunteers. We are impacted people. We are staff board of directors, advisory board, review committee, coalition partners, network partners, allies, and the folks who are joining our family tonight, you all. Um, And also in this work, the National Bail Fund Network has informed CCBF's philosophy around pre-child justice and has um, provided much needed support as our organization developed in 2015 and in 2016. We continue to be active members of the network, including by, including by now supporting people starting or running new bail funds around the country. Um, you may notice in the presentation that we use bail and bond interchangeably. That's because they are interchangeable in Illinois. Nationally, bail is the more common used word. And if you are tweeting, because um, you know you're hip, the hashtag used by organizers across the world and across the country is hashtag end money bail. In some states, bail and bond do mean different things. To, so be sure to learn more about that if you are not here in Illinois. We do more than run a, um, a revolving bail fund. We work to make our bail fund obsolete. Our campaign work would not be possible without our partners in the National Coalition to End Bail Bond and the Illinois National Network for Pre-Child Justice. And also, um, yes, I think, yeah. Um, Finally, finally, um, I want to give a thank you to everyone who works at CCBF. Um, Tonight, you'll get to meet Charlene Grace, who is our Deputy Director um, Kisa Reynolds is doing an amazing job behind the scenes tonight. Um, she's our director of programs, and she's the reason that you literally are here right now. And I'm here right now. Um, Matt McLuhan, um our campaign coordinator, Malik Alam, our intake coordinator, um, Christina Lorenzo, and advocate um, Levette Mays. We also have our board members here tonight, including myself, Jason Lydon, Mia Henry who, again, amazing work, love the presentation we have, Diana Parker, Maya Shinwar, and Tanya Gassenheimer um, here with us tonight. Thank you all for your work and your dedication. We really appreciate you all. And so now, next up, I will pass it off to Damon Williams from the Let Us Breathe Collective. Thank you.
0: Hey, uh, y'all. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, So honored to continue to be in solidarity in the struggle with the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Um, It's really some of the most important tangible work that not only exists in our city, but in this nation and this world right now. So I'm really happy to be here. And I wanna unpack and talk a little bit about abolition right now, because I'm sure so many folks have tuned in because we are in a moment of political uprising and transformation. uh, And we are at a space where this new, new, but very, very old word of abolition is recentering centering itself in the forefront so I want to ground us uh, in that thinking. We can go to the next slide. So and before even I say anything I want to give honor to those folks who have done the work before us that are now um, trying to help move this forward. Um, and So this is a definition from critical resistance Um, And so I have to certainly uplift that as a space that really made abolitionist thinking possible uh, in our world. And before I read this definition, just as you get off this call, if you want to continue to educate yourself, uh, the three most prominent living thinkers of these concepts are Angela Davis, Ruth Wilson Gilmore and our very own Miriam Kaba. Uh, So just go check out and Google every word they've ever said or published and you will be in a better place to understand in the world we need to create. All right, I wanna read this uh, definition here on the prison industrial complex. Uh, Prison industrial complex or PICs is often uh, named. Abolition is a political vision with the goal of eliminating imprisonment, policing and surveillance and creating lasting alternatives to punishment and imprisonment. Abolition isn't just about getting rid of buildings full of cages. It's also about undoing the society we live in because the PIC both feeds on and maintains oppressions and inequalities through punishment, violence, and controls millions of people. Because the PIC is not an isolated system, abolition is a broad strategy. An abolitionist vision means that we must build models today that we can represent how we want to live in the future. It means developing practical strategies for taking small steps that move us towards making our dreams real and that lead us all to believe that things really could be different. It means living this vision in our daily lives. Abolition is both a practical organizing tool and a long time goal. So that's really helpful way to ground us. We can go to the next slide. Um, But but I I really honor critical resistance and that work I think really grounds our conversation. Uh, And so what I wanna say language that I use Uh, Because, you know, prison industrial complex is a way that we've been able to understand it, the notion of industry, that there is political economy involved and complex as it is wide and vast. Uh, I still feel like there uh, is new language that I've been trying to offer that can help us really get a grasp on what we're talking about when we say abolition in this new society that we want to create. Uh, And that language that I offer is carceral militarism. Uh, And so carceral militarism or militarized incarceration in all of its form is the primary thing that we are trying to abolish institutionally. Like the definition said, that looks like police, prisons, jails and surveillance. Um, And so I just want to get into a little bit of why. And like I know folks are probably interested or probably maybe agree. uh, But what I'm learning in this time is that a lot of folks agree or this sounds right, but they don't feel truly comfortable standing on it or naming it out in the world. And I hope in these brief few minutes I have with you, uh, I can push you forward to feeling more confident in this righteous fight and this righteous journey. Uh, so what is this these carceral militaristic institutions we are trying to abolish, prisons, jail surveillance? What do they do? One, I want us to all just recognize that they are slavery and segregation. Uh, and so as Americans, you need to just understand that our constitution says that after that, judge slams the gavel and the police officer does their job successfully and putting the cuffs on a person and then the judge convicts them of of guilty and they go from Cook County to a prison, Um, they are legally subjected to slavery. That is what the 13th Amendment says. Slavery shall not exist in the United States, comma, except as punishment for a crime. So anybody watching this ever, I need you to just meditate with yourself and take a deep breath and recognize that every day that you've drawn breath in this land, slavery has been constitutionally legal. So oftentimes in our social study classes that told this like really mythological shortened version of what slavery was, we imagine ourselves in that time and our position and what would we be doing? And my question to you is, would you be a part of the Underground Railroad? Would you be a passive supporter? Or would you be silent? Um, Because slavery is still happening right now. Also, it is segregation. Uh, It moves people from communities, particularly often from urban spaces, and it puts them into suburban and rural spaces in a way that boosts Mostly white political power, uh, and also it makes all of the discriminations that were made illegal by the Civil Rights Acts of the sixties then legal again in some way, shape, or form in somewhere in our nation. Right. So the idea that we live in a post-apartheid or post-segregated society does not exist for the millions of black and brown people that are subjected to this penal system that we call justice. So, so one, carceral militarism is slavery and segregation. Two, it is torture not only in the extreme forms that we know here that are common with the Chicago Police Department, i.e. John Burge, torture ring, and then the practices that were documented to be happening at the Holman Square facility on Chicago's west side. Uh, We need to also acknowledge that once the system works correctly and we do the air quote right thing and send someone into a cell, uh, according to most global and international human rights violations, the types of confinement that are the norm, particularly solitary confinement, are the definition of torture. Um, so one, it is slavery and segregation. Two, it is torture. Three, it is abuse and assault. Um, I don't know how many folks have family members uh, who have been incarcerated. I don't know how many folks watching this have been incarcerated themselves or have had impacts with police on the street. Uh, but I'm sure you've heard of or are familiar with the concept of frisking. Um, and that is something that is done without consent. And I just want you to visualize the practice of a frisking and then take off a badge and then take off the, the, the gun and the, and the, and the uh, cuffs and then just look at that practice. That practice is sexual violence and sexual assault when done well. Um, and then all folks who are incarcerated uh, are subject to strip search, cavity search at any point without their consent. Uh, so our, this system of carceral militarism, of punitive criminal justice, is sexual abuse and it is assault. So it is slavery, torture, abuse, and assault. And lastly, the idea of a prisoner and the idea of jail comes from militarism and warfare. Uh, So the solutions to violence, the solution to disruption, the solution to inequality and disequilibrium in our communities is warfare and militarism. We often see cops as as part of uh, this responder network that are like more social services, but we don't understand that our second amendment Uh, the police are a state regulated militia. They are a military unit and they happen at every level of government. Um, And so what I am claiming is that this system is slavery and segregation, torture, abuse and assault and militaristic warfare. And that those things are not the solution to, to the harm and violence that we experience in our community. I would actually say that those things are causing the problem and make things worse because that warfare is not also just happening in a vacuum or randomly across the population. That warfare is racist, class-based, and ableist. Uh, I do not think that only uh, black, brown, and sick or disabled people commit harm. I don't think that it is that wealthy, able-bodied, uh, uh, white, rich people are innocent all the time. But for some reason, the place that is torture and the place that is slavery is filled with black and brown bodies, poor people um, and folks with disability, uh, mental illness and addiction. Um, And so that is not a solution to those problems. And that is warfare that is destructive and has been happening on a generational level. So that's what it is. And then so just objectively, that's that's the definition of these systems. And we do it to respond to real things and real problems in our society. So let's just say very quickly also what this system that we are saying needs to be abolished isn't. What is it not? It is not working. It is not effectively a deterrent. Um, It is not stopping anything. It is not diminishing. It is not healing any harms. If anything, it is a perpetuation or a compounding of harm and trauma. And that is not what we need to have a healthier society. And that is what the push for abolition is. The push for abolition is a new transformative reality with new healthy relationships between community uh, and and between our environment. Um, And so I know we're running low on time. uh, And so I I know we have to be brief. uh, And I just want us to know that right now there's a campaign here in Chicago uh, that one articulates the fact that this system isn't working. We know that the Cook County Jail is the largest physical jail of its nature in the nation. Um, and that we also know it is the largest mental health facility, uh, which speaks to the scarcity um, that is happening in our city. Uh, and that also, we know that the people are put in there mostly by the Chicago Police Department. And what people don't say is, we need, after the conservative criticism, of we need these systems uh, because the, the Black people on the South and West Side are so crazy. Uh, we need more police. No one ever says that actually, Chicago is the most pol- major city police per capita. I said that sentence weird. Uh, the most police per capita city in America. So what Cook County Jail proves and what the Chicago Police Department proves is that policing and incarceration do not work to address violence. You know what does is folks having their needs met and our primary needs are housing, food and nutrition and medicine, and then our needs to develop healthier communities, our education, cooperative economics and work activity, elder and youth care, community spaces, arts and resources and disability justice, right? We know that those things work and we know that those things that also provide the infrastructure to respond in new ways. So for folks who want to know what does abolition look like, it looks like folks having what they need and those being the infrastructures for relationships and accountability to not only respond to and react and address past harms, uh, but to create relationships and dynamics that prevent and stop harm from happening in the first place because we are not living in a perpetual state of crisis as we are reminded during this time of pandemic. So I want to thank Chicago Community Bond Fund for their work, not only for the physical people, bodies that have been freed, uh, but also for pushing this message and pushing this consciousness on a, on a larger level. Um, and, you know, just... I feel like I have two more minutes left is what I just got told. So I don't have to wrap up quite quite. Oh, no, never mind. Uh, but what I want to say is you need to be a part of this fight. This is the most active political time in human history. It's the most active time in our lifetime. You should be really proud and encouraged. Um, and the process that we are against actually is violent and creates the violence that we want to not see in our communities and interpersonally. What we are told is to keep supporting the cause of the problem as a solution to the effects that are harmful. Uh, And that is just nonsensical, and we know it doesn't work, and also, we need to just accept that this system was intentionally, mass incarceration of the last 50 years, was intentionally expanded as a counter-revolutionary counterinsurgency against Black liberation movements and to disorganize Black people. So just like right now, 50 years ago, millions of Black people in the streets and the law and order regime was, instead of having them be in the streets, we're gonna warehouse them in these torture facilities. Um, And so I encourage everyone to please look at defund CPD and then please, please donate to Chicago Community Bomb Fund because these are active steps towards working, towards this abolitionist future that we need. Um, And what we need is not just in the criminal justice system, right? We need to understand we need to transform our entire political economy, which also means transforming who we are, how we see ourselves and how we relate to people and being accountable for our positions and our impacts. And lastly, This is a movement for love. So I am talk too much and I'm over my time. I'm going to be back. There are going to be calls to action and also folks have questions. At the end, I'll be present to help uh, respond to some of the questions. Uh, But I am so grateful to everybody. Thank you, Amia and the facilitators and, and the interpreters. And I, sorry, want to pass it now to Charlotte. Much love. Listen, you just did that.
2: I'm just coming back on because before Charlene gets started, I want everyone to take a moment and digest what was just dropped on you. I believe it was knowledge um, and it was truth.
0: I appreciate it.
2: All of those things. Um, So yeah, no, take a moment, everyone. You take a moment. And then I want also everyone. Um, I feel like like a, I feel like I'm at the Apollo. I'm like bringing everyone on. Um, I just um, yeah, that was a lot to digest. And I see folks are beginning to drop questions in the comment section. Um, so just know that we see them and we are um, going to be holding those. Um, we have a call to action coming later and also a and A um, section. And at this point, I am going to hand it over to Charlene Grace, our executive director.
3: Thank you so much, Naya. And thank you, Damon. And thanks to everyone who has joined us tonight from all over. Um, I am just going to talk for about the next five minutes about the origins and the early work of Chicago Community Bond Fund. We actually got started in working together in 2014. So two weeks after Michael Brown was murdered in Ferguson, Missouri, Chicago police shot and killed two young Black people on the same day, Rashad McIntosh and Deshaun Pittman. And Deshaun's family and friends came together to honor his life in a vigil just two days after his death. That vigil was disrupted and attacked by the Chicago Police Department. They arrested eight people, including Deshawn's mother. Five people were charged with felonies, and they were sent to bond court, where all five of them were given high money bonds. And the total to get everyone free was almost $30,000. And other people who are active, myself, Matt McLaughlin, our director of programs, Other people who were active in doing legal and fundraising and support for the Black Lives Matter movement that fall read about the arrests in the paper, reached out to Deshawn's family members and the family members of people arrested, and began a collective fundraising effort to pay their bonds. And this deeply connects to the police violence and the resistance to police violence that we're seeing right now, because we know that after arrests, money bonds and caging people pretrial jailing is part of the power of the police it's part of the same system of punishment of dehumanization and of violence that disproportionately targets and harms black communities so they're very intimately intertwined issues how policing functions with the power of the courts and the prosecution system behind it and so we fundraised starting in august of 2014 and First, we raised enough to get Deshawn's mother out, and then the next person, and the next person, and the next person. And by the time we got that last person out, it was December of 2014. And it was really his mother, Jeanette Wentz, who encouraged us all to continue working together and to launch Chicago Community Bond Fund so that it wouldn't take months to get the next person's family member out of the jail, Um, and so that they wouldn't have the same experience of losing their jobs of being separated from their loved ones, of enduring the trauma and the violence of incarceration that Damon described so eloquently earlier. And next slide, please. In 2015, we launched officially and we began paying bonds. As of today, we've paid more than $2.5 million in bond to free over 500 people from Coke County Jail. And at the same time, we know that tens of thousands of people are admitted to the jail every year and while it's essential that we free people now and that we engage in harm reduction against the system we know that ultimately we need to be working so that a bond fund isn't needed so that no one is in cook county jail because they can't come up with a certain amount of money and for that reason we began in 2016 to engage in systems change efforts with our partners in the coalition to end money bond. And specifically in 2016, we referred people who are inside the jail on unaffordable money bonds to a team of civil rights lawyers that filed a lawsuit saying it's unconstitutional to treat these people differently and to take away their freedom while they haven't been convicted of anything because they don't have a certain amount of money, where people with access to money then go free. That lawsuit led to significant policy changes in Cook County that went into effect in 2017. And you can see from 2017 through earlier this year, the number of people in jail on any given day decreased by almost 2,500. So that is a huge number. And it's actually larger than it seems. Because jails are relatively short term, it means that on any given day throughout the year, actually many more people are impacted than it's not 2,500 people. It's thousands of people every year who are no longer being admitted to the jail because they're not being given unaffordable money bonds. They're being released instead. And when they're released, it also keeps people from going further into the system because people who are in jail are more likely to plead guilty. They receive longer sentences. They're more likely to go to prison. So being able to free people both through the bail fund, paying bonds and through preventing Jailing means that more people are free right now, but also it keeps people from going deeper in the system. And as the movement to end money bail grew nationally, we started getting contacted from people in other parts of Illinois who are saying, how can we do this in our county? And we need to start a bail fund. We're like, okay, if you want to bail people out, we will work with you on that. But also, let's keep people from ever being put into the jail where they have to be bailed out. And that is how we helped launch the Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice in 2019. And now we're building together with our coalition partners in this statewide network of more than 30 organizations, which led earlier this year to Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker announcing that ending money bond would be one of his signature policy priorities this year. And now I'm going to turn it over to CCBF's Director of Programs, Matt McLaughlin, and he's going to take it from here.
1: Thanks, Charlene. So I am going to talk to you all about um, the efforts that CCBF currently has underway um, to end money bail and pretrial incarceration across the state. Um, Currently, like Charlene was saying, we're working with Uh, groups across Illinois, um, over 30 different organizations spread out from all the way up from Rockford down to Carbondale um, to pass a bill called the Pretrial Fairness Act. Um, The Pretrial Fairness Act is a piece of legislation that we worked on with our partners in the Coalition to End Money Bond that will not just um, end money bail in Illinois, but totally changed the way our pretrial justice system works to make it fairer and to dramatically decrease the number of people who are incarcerated in our state every year. In Illinois, there's over 92 uh, county jails uh, that incarcerate over 250,000 people every year. So our pretrial justice system is um, denying uh, the freedom of hundreds of thousands of people um, and having uh, dramatic impacts on communities across the state. Oftentimes we hear that uh, money bond is uh, strictly a Cook County issue. But through our work across Illinois, we have found that in every corner of this state, there are people being denied their freedom and held on ransom. And um, the Pretrial Fairness Act, which is being sponsored by uh, Senator Robert Peters and uh, House Representative uh, Justin Slaughter, like I was saying, doesn't just end money bond, it it really changes the whole pretrial justice system. Currently in Illinois, um, people are, the the state can lock people up for just about any charge. And the first thing that the bill does is actually dramatically reduces the number of charges that are even eligible for detention. Um, It takes money completely out of the equation and dramatically increases the standard that the state has to meet in order to actually even be able to allow to incarcerate somebody. And we believe that we can raise the standard high enough that we can cut the, the number of people who are in jail in Illinois down dramatically and ultimately um, really reduce the number of people that are going through our prison system. So we're really excited to be pushing this bill and we'll share some ways at the end of the presentation that you can get involved in supporting it. And so um, in addition to passing the bill, um, we have been doing work to um, push for a mass release of people incarcerated in Cook County Jail Uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. So prior to um, the the pandemic, um, you know, we were working full steam ahead on um, passing passing the bill. Um, And then in early March, it became pretty apparent that um, this virus was about to change everything um, in this country. And we were specifically watching in um, Europe and seeing people inside prisons revolting Um, due to the the obscene treatment that they were receiving and knowing um, that the number of people incarcerated in jails and prisons across the United States, it was obvious that we were about to have um, a huge, disastrous, deadly problem in this country. And so the bond fund worked with more than 70 organizations to put forward a series of demands, um, focused on getting people out of the jail, uh, improving the conditions for people.
3: I think Matt is frozen. Um, So so until. do you want to now, take it over, Sharlyn? Yeah, okay. I can just keep talking um, a little bit about the COVID demand. So in early March, CCBF was increasingly becoming concerned about what would happen when COVID got into the jail inevitably because jails are inherently unsanitary, inherently unsafe. Um, people inside jails are regularly denied needed medical care, and they're known to spread infectious diseases quickly. So we put together a list of demands with partners that called for releasing people, um, as many people as possible, including medically vulnerable people, but also anyone held on money bonds, um, people who were there for violations of probation, many other demands, and also keeping anyone who remained in the jail as safe as possible. More than 100 community and legal organizations signed on to that letter. There was a very active calling campaign. We worked with our partners, Damon, and Let Us Breathe, and many other organizations to organize a car caravan outside the jail. There was a faith leader vigil that our board member, Jason, who will be up later, participated and helped lead. Just every action we could take to shed light on the situation in the jail. And the number of people did start going down, but unfortunately COVID-19 also got into the jail. And when it did, we worked with a team of civil rights lawyers to file a suit on behalf of everyone in the jail. Before that lawsuit, incarcerated people in the jail weren't receiving masks, they weren't receiving cleaning equipment so that they could clean their own cells or areas that were shared where everyone was touching the same phones, using the same showers, And it was a very dangerous situation. The federal judge in that lawsuit agreed with the asks of incarcerated people and their attorneys that they needed to be given masks, that they needed to be given increased cleaning supplies. We haven't succeeded in getting anyone ordered, released through that lawsuit. But with additional pressure from community organizing, we were able to succeed in pressuring the courts to release many more people. So the number of people in Cook County Jail went from 5,500 per day in early March to a low of around 4,100 people in May. And unfortunately, it started to creep back up today, but it's not back to where it was. It always increases in the summer and we're continuing to make sure as few people as possible are booked into Cook County Jail right now and and moving forward. And uh, let me just check real quick what we were gonna talk about. Um, All right, and then the reason why so many of you have joined us here today and have been able to learn about bail funds is because of the uprisings, both in Minneapolis, I mean, all across the country and even across the world. So in Chicago, that very first weekend after the week in which George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and Tony McDade were all murdered by police in different U.S. cities, people in Chicago came together in protest to demand an end to that violence. And we, like so many bail funds around the country, were lucky to receive support that we could use to pay bond for anyone who needed it in that moment. And that means that since June of this year, We have paid $900,171 in bond to free 186 people arrested in connection with the Black Lives Matter protests and uprisings. And we have been able to do that, not just in Chicago and in Cook County, but actually in eight different counties in Illinois. Um, Counties where there are smaller communities that are also coming together and resisting police violence. So... Um, we're really, really proud to be able to play that role as a movement resource. Because what we can do is we can decrease the risks that people take when they take to the streets. And we know that historically, mass mobilization and direct action have been essential to achieving social change. And if we can make sure that people going out in the street to demand safety, to to demand an end to police violence are not going to be been stuck in the jail for months or even years, that is a role that we're proud to play with many other bail funds across the country. Matt is back. Um, Matt, do you want to say the last part of your section since we fixed the computer issues?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, like Charlene said, we, fortunately, thank you to all of these donations. We've been, we were able to uh, help free a large number of people. Um, unfortunately, there are still people who remain incarcerated um, from the actions that have happened over the last few months. People that don't have bails set or have holds from other cases. And so, uh, CCBF is currently working um, with other community groups to launch a Black Lives Matter Defense Committee um, to support the people who remain inside, and then also to advocate to have these charges dropped. Um, and so. Um, you know, we'll be putting money on the books of people who remain inside and working to support everyone while they fight their cases. And again, continuing to put pressure on states, attorneys and mayors to make sure that um, these charges are being dropped. And so we'll be having information going out over our social media channels in the coming weeks and how you can support these efforts and, and write to people who remain um, inside uh, as we continue to fight for their freedom. Um in addition to the other campaign efforts that we've mentioned, we're also working to defund Cook County Jail. Um, we're working with um, some of our partners from the Coalition to End Money Bond, and as well as some other groups that so we're working with uh, primarily with the People's Lobby, uh, Stoll, and uh, National Nurses United, um, arguing to defund the jail and to fund community services that we actually believe keep our community safe. Um, While we've been able to reduce the number of people in Cook County Jail by over 50% since 2013, um, the Sheriff's Department has been able to increase their budget by 26% in that time. Um, and if the jail budget had gone down in proportion to the number of people who were being locked up in the jail, there would be an additional $117 million that could be currently being invested into things like community mental health care, uh, public health services, housing, um, and and other important community resources that are, are chronically under underfunded and leaving in our communities in a bad state. And so... Um, Just last month, we worked with Commissioner Brandon Johnson to get the Justice for Black Lives ordinance passed at the Cook County Board. Um, The ordinance basically outlines the harm that policing has caused the residents of Cook County um, and makes investing in our communities a priority for the coming budget season. And so keep an eye on social media for ways to plug in on the campaign. Um, and to make sure that we take that money from the sheriff's department and get it to the, the communities that have been most dramatically harmed by the criminal legal system. And I am going to pass it on back to uh, some folks that do um, a Q&A and to let you know some ways that you can get involved in the work. Thanks.
4: Hello, beautiful
1: friends.
4: My goodness, so much information. To take in. I hope you're feeling the shower of wisdom from all of those who have already spoken. I will be talking about what you can do in terms of supporting local bail funds, becoming a pen pal, doing mutual aid work, and building legislative power. Uh, my name, because I forgot to tell you, is Jason Leiden, and I serve as the secretary on the board of CCBF, and I'm so glad to be here with you all, and Damon and I will be kind of talking a little bit with you all about what you can do, how to get involved, what does this all mean? When we asked people to register for this event, about two thirds of you said, "I know a bit about what's going on. I have a sense. I'm connected to the movement." Uh, and about another third said, "I don't know a whole lot, and I'm really looking to learn so much more." So it's possible that you're feeling a little overwhelmed. We're sharing a lot of information. There's a lot of knowledge that's been given to you this evening. And so one of the things that I know I like to do when I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed uh, with information is just taking a breath and remembering that there is so much work to be done and that we as a collective get to do it that we do it always in relationship with other people, that we will not end this criminal legal system that is destroying black communities, that's going after indigenous communities, that's attacking, as Damon was saying, this militaristic violence over and over again. We won't win against that alone. We win against it together. And so we're so thankful to you all for being part of this discussion. And I'm sure you're wondering, so what do we do? Part is that you might be realizing, oh, I'm not sure I'm an abolitionist yet. I'm still learning and you know we've all been indoctrinated with this punishment-based culture uh, that anti-blackness permeates American psyche and that we have so much work to do to overcome so much of what we've been taught. But if you're not feeling ready for abolition today, that's okay, there's still so much of a role for you in this movement. And we invite you to really try on abolition. That, okay, we're going to take away police and prisons and jails, and we're going to do something different. So imagine that. Imagine what that can be for you in your community. Uh, One of the things we heard from you all is that the far majority of folks are based here in Chicago. And we are really hoping that as you continue to learn about the Chicago Community Bond Fund and the work we're doing to end money bond and to end pretrial trial incarceration uh, that you're also figuring out, okay, well, what are the other ways the system is interacting that the way in which somebody gets placed in jail in the first place is with a bunch of police on the street. And you might notice people walking behind me. Thanks for being patient with all that. Uh, and maybe a dog barking once or twice, excuse me. Uh, but you have an opportunity for us to get connected to work ending police violence, committing to the work to defunding police. And I'm wondering, Damon, if you might share some of what's been going on in on the street in Chicago right now that people are able to connect to today.
0: Well, t- literally today, uh, I think it's important to uplift that a coalition of students and young people uh, engaged in direct action, demanding uh, that the Chicago Public School Board uh, revote to remove Chicago CPD from CPS uh, and, and in an undemocratic fashion, those demands were not met, and the board uh, voted today to continue action. So young people are actually holding space right now, uh, I believe, on like forty second state in Wabash. Um, or near Wabash. Um, uh, Long term, what you can do is there's a link, uh, I believe below uh, to sign on in the Action Network uh, demands for the campaign to defund CPD. Um, And so if you sign on to those demands, not only does that help build up our numbers, but it also puts you into the information flow uh, of folks to reach out. Also for folks in the city area this Saturday, and there's a link below to sign up for this training, but August 29th, there will be an in-person direct action training uh, because that's one of the very important ways to plug in. This is a moment of political mobilization and uprising and we need people to continue taking action in the streets in various forms. So we want to train folks up on that. Um, so come to that training, but also if you already have the skills, I apologize for folks who are like literally mobile today. Um, 42 West Madison is for the cops out of CPS action that's happened currently. Um, and then there's also a vigil in Union Park at 7.30 p.m today uh, in in relation to the Jacob Blake shooting and and the uprising in Wisconsin. Uh, So that's like immediate, immediate. Uh, I just got that like off screen. Um, And then I was saying that this Saturday, there will be an in-person training around direct action, take direct action. And uh, another long way to really support um, is to engage in mutual aid work and mutual aid efforts. We need to understand that as we demand institutional change, our people need resources now, uh, so in food, shelter other things but food isn't immediate particularly in our pandemic um, so you can connect with the um chicago mutual aid uh, network you can also connect specifically with the people's grab and go uh, which is based on the south side or the john walt foundation which is based on the west side food giveaway or you can just look up mutual aid or start mutual aid in your space uh, because i believe mutual aid is abolition and abolition is also creating a world where we don't need mutual aid um uh i i, I believe there are a few other ways that I want to pass back to Jason that folks can get plugged in, uh, but I really want to uplift. I saw a question about pen pals. Um, one of the ways Let Us Breathe has partnered in the past with CCBF uh, is through a Free the People Academy and through or a Free the People program, which is intended to build relationships with the folks that, that are being released and being liberated from this place of, of torture and enslavement. Um, and so trying to figure out how in best ways possible to support the actual people uh, because that's who we need in our movement and we can't have people in movement if they don't have their needs met. Uh, So I'll pass it back to Jason with a few more tangible ways to plug in.
4: You are a blessing, Damon. Thank you so much. Uh, So very specifically, as we are all holding our hearts, you know, with sadness and rage and anger about the most recent shooting that we saw of Jacob Blake uh, in Kenosha, that there is a Bond fund that you can support, the Milwaukee Freedom Fund, that is specifically organizing to ensure that people who are getting arrested during these uprisings right now in Kenosha are going to get support. And so there's an access to link for that so that you can support them very directly. And you may be noticing for yourself that, okay, I want to get involved in direct action, I want to get involved in mutual aid support, and I'm also interested in some aspects of policy. And so when we are imagining how we are making change, one of the things that we rely on is state legislators who respond to the demands from community. And so if you don't currently have a relationship with your legislator, whoever they might be, whether they're a strong ally and somebody who's been doing work challenging criminalization for a long time, whichever very few magical legislators those are, Uh, but whoever they might be, we want you to develop some relationships with your legislators so that we can continue pushing on them as we use their power that they have access to to win the demands that our communities are fighting for. And so if you are not sure who your legislator is, you can Google find my legislator and you'll be able to find them right there. We are... Uh, lucky to have great people involved in CCBF who know a bit about legislative work. So if you find yourself having questions, you can reach out to us. Also, it's possible that you're somebody who likes building up new things and relationships with folks that you're connected to. So one of the things we hope you would do is build those connections and then always then reach out to those who have been doing this work for a long time. That there's so much that's happening, so much wisdom. And particularly those of us who, like me, are white, remembering to listen, to take a pause, and to know, okay, there are folks who have been fighting for freedom for Black people, for Indigenous people, for Latinx folks, much longer than I have. And so I have a responsibility to pause and learn and be sure that I'm acting always in solidarity and following the leadership of those who are most directly affected by these systems of violence. And so I hope that you will continue doing that work. And one that I'm very passionate about is writing with folks who are incarcerated. Matt referenced that uh, for folks who are particularly serving time still awaiting trial for actions that they take, they've they taken in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, but there are people incarcerated, 2.3-ish million people all around the country, so many of whom nobody is writing with. And while our postal service is under attack right now, snail mail is a brilliant way to connect with folks who are still locked up, who are doing time wherever they are. Organizations like Black and Pink work with LGBT and HIV-positive folks who are currently incarcerated, and you can get pen pals through there. Uh, Meshad al-Rabia works with Muslim prisoners. You can get connected with folks through there. There are so many different pen pal opportunities that you can connect with, and I encourage you, please, to connect with them. The Believers Bailout, which also collaborates uh, with meeting the needs of Muslim incarcerated folks, they too do a pen pal project. So Google is your friend, even if they own everything or kind of evil, Uh, you can use Google and find what organization might work best for you, whether it's a faith-based or secular community, LGBT specific, political prisoner specific, whoever it is that you're writing with, uh, we encourage you to really build those relationships. And in just a moment, we are going to be transitioning to answering some of your questions that we got some questions already in the YouTube. And so we want to uh, have a dialogue with you all who have already shared so much with us. One of the things that I want to lift up that came up first is what does it look like to embody abolitionist principles in your life? For me... I came to abolition uh, during my own incarceration, learning that there was no way that this system of violence, of anti-Blackness could possibly be something that could lead to justice and liberation for us as people. That for myself as a person of faith, I don't believe that hell exists after life. And so I have a shared commitment with so many others to get rid of the hells that exist right here on our earth right now. And so for me, living into abolitionist principles means making commitments to do things like not call the police, that I'm going to ensure that I get connected to other efforts to imagine what we can do differently. The church that I served uh, received a bunch of substances we didn't understand It didn't know what. It looked kind of like, oh, I think someone might be sending us drugs. And so rather than call the police, we call the Harm Reduction Alliance here in Chicago. They came, they picked things up, they took it safely away, then they get to test that uh, those drugs that they found and use that information to better serve drug users around the city, to reduce the harms of overdose and ensure that people are getting the harm reduction care that they need. We can create these alternatives together. It's about doing that work in practice uh, with one another. I think it's telling that Jacob Blake, when he was shot seven times in the back, that before that he was trying to end a fight between two people, he was intervening. That's an abolitionist practice of saying, I'm seeing violence happen in my community, how do I engage? Not just rely on state violence to enact more violence upon people, But rather, how can I, aligning with people around me, get some training, feel secure in myself, build relationships with my community so that we can all intervene together? So those are some of the ways. And for me, it's about continuously looking at uh, exactly what Damon was saying, that this carceral system is so huge. It is a massive thing that we are trying to take apart in lots of different areas, And so finding for myself and you finding for yourself where it is that you can play in, that you can begin practicing moments of abolition in your daily life as you try to practice what it means to take care of each other rather than relying on the police or these other systems of state violence to intervene. And so I know we have quite a number of other questions. And so I'm hoping that, Naya would join me in looking at some of these questions together.
2: Sure. And I'm um thank you, um, Jason, for being amazing. Um, I wanted to kick it over to Charlene, um, who's going to answer our next question um regarding
3: judges. Thanks. So, one of the questions in the chat was how do judges decide how much bail to set now? And one of the things we learn paying attention to the system is that it's very, in addition to being very violent, it can be very arbitrary. So when we have done court watching, when we have studied the courts, what we've seen is that oftentimes the bond that is set for someone really depends on what day of the week they were in court and which judge was on the bench that day. So people up on a Monday will have different outcomes than people up on a Tuesday. And of course that feels very unfair and very concerning. But in general, when judges are making decisions about how to set bond, they're looking at the history of someone's past involvement in the court system, and then other things that are going on in their life. Are they parents? Are they working? Are they students? Do they live here? Do they live somewhere else? Things like that that might impact um, how easy it is for them to come back to court or how difficult, and also whether or not the court might be concerned about Them being rearrested or concerns about safety based on the allegations against them. So, all those things are going to be factored in. And I think the question was also asking what was the change that led to the decrease in the number of people in jail in Cook County? And that change was instructing judges to use money bond as a last resort and to only set it in an amount that people can afford to pay. So, that instead of the majority of people being in Cook County jail, because they can't afford to pay a bond, money bond would be a way that people who are supposed to be released could pay the bonds and be released. And that means that the amounts went way down. And part of the reason they went way down is that the court switched out the judges. As we said, who's making the decision matters. So when a new court rule went into effect and the judges were supposed to implement it, they actually had to change the decision makers. And Now, I'm going to pass it to Damon, who is going to answer another one of the questions, which was about the relationship between movement, spontaneous action, and grassroots action, um, and things like demands made of electeds and legislation. And after you answer that question about legislation, Damon, I think we go back to Naya. To talk about who the decision makers are in our campaign to end money bail in
0: Illinois. Oh, great! Uh, so, so that's a really complex uh, uh, question uh, that you know I think to really get at the heart of, like, requires its own like hour conversation or workshop. Uh, but, but I'll do my best to, to pull from my perspective. Uh, and what I am really cautious about is being predictive in any type of way because that has been proven uh, to to be counterproductive. So I wanna just reread it exactly. Uh, do you believe that the complete abolition of prisons and police enforcement will occur through demands for legislation and such, or through more independent action through organizations like this? Um, and so obviously it is mostly a both and, uh, but the, the leadership and the when we pull from other histories of how transit, or I'll even take a step back, we need to acknowledge that this tradition does not come out of nowhere and that we are in a lineage So for folks who are interested, we need to understand that we have already abolished the transatlantic chattel slave system, and we have already abolished Jim Crow apartheid and other forms of like explicit natures of colonialism. And so we need to look from those histories to understand our uh, current situation. And so from those histories, what you will pull is that it is primarily the first, the internal agency of the oppressed and uprising, and slave uprising, and peasant uprising, um, uh, the the Black Power movement. It is always the organic, indigenous organizing, or just sometimes organic rebellion uh, of the people most impacted that begins the 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 momentum of change uh, to create a new structural reality. Uh, so that looked like slave revolts, that look like escapes, right? Like the underground railroad could not exist if people were not already running away. Um, the idea of an abolitionist could not exist if it weren't for people who were escaping slavery, telling their story and sharing their experience. Similarly to making Jim Crow apartheid uh, a more common understanding for all of America. Uh, but then also we need to understand historically um, that it, you know, systems change when those who are not maybe ideologically interested, but those who are in power have their interests aligned, right? So part of why chattel slavery uh, ended is because it was actually in the interest of industrial capitalists to create a new form of political economy. And so what I push for is that part of how we get to abolition is not through reaffirming, reaffirming institutional hierarchies and bureaucracies, it is through transforming people that are the power base of those social systems. Uh, And so a couple of analogies to look at it uh, is, it was not like a bunch of thought pieces or letters uh, that got rid of VHSs or or old forms of of entertainment. It was DVDs and streaming, right? It's the idea of obsolescence. So Angela Davis asked the question, are prisons obsolete? So part of us getting there Is by us showing up and creating new systems of response that make this obsolete and it makes it in the interest of the greater society uh, to transition or to choose an alternative because not only is this system currently harmful, it's also ineffective and inefficient. Um, And so as we produce the new reality and produce the models and examples that we will scale up, we will start to see uh, a domino effect of more institutionalization because what we also see is that institutional power and state power and government always co opts and appropriates in a way to sustain. Um, And so the civil rights legislation is the appropriation of of 30 years of a freedom movement. Um, And so we will likely see something like that as we see liberals and neoliberals and even Republicans today talking about prison reform and talking about decarceration. We always see this like five to 10 year lag. Um, So it is really important to organize first, but we do need to have structural, tangible, institutional demands that not only outlay our vision and push folks um, to a more radical place or a more healthy place, or we can call it a a further left, uh, but also such as what we see with CCBF, to stop immediate harm and harm reduction. So those are two things that have to happen at once, creating the new vision and creating a new infrastructure, but we also need to be freeing people and healing people to help build our movement and help build that indigenous spirit uh, that creates these liberatory phenomenon. Um, so, so it is certainly in both hands, but it will not start at the state. Um, and if you are not organizing and or moving with your people, or to the first question, if you're not actually transforming yourself and how you be accountable and how you cooperate with people and how we respond and how we have internal processes of restorative justice, so in your nonprofit, in your job, In your academic position, um, you should be having different notions of leadership and response um, that builds these models in every institutional place so that people then have the language um, of how we need to be responding, not with hierarchy, punishment, authority, bureaucracy, and domination. Um, And so in doing that, yes, at some point legislators will write a bill. uh, But as we know, and I'll stop with this, uh, with the Emancipation Proclamation, right? the whole point of Juneteenth Uh, is that two years after the legislation was passed that air, quote, freed the slaves, there were still people working on plantations. So if if it wasn't for the organization and the force um, or or, or counter organizing to actually physically liberate people, uh, we know that these norms will continue. So uh, sometimes legislation on paper is just on paper. We need to have a body of people to recognize that not only is this one institution, this is actually our entire society. Our civilization is built on genocide and settler colonialism and rape and mass murder and that's where our institutions got its capital from uh and so it's not just inside the, the the walls of jails but ending jails means that we are transforming our political economy and racial capitalism at large and that's going to take organizing and everything from everybody mic drop again
2: um <laughs> thank you and so i'm actually i'm going to answer another question but i also want to just lift up something you said like if a piece of legislation is passed and no one knows about it I always uh, in my day job, I um, am a state legislative director. I can pass a bill, but if no one knows about it, why am I over here celebrating and taking photos with the governor or with legislators? So yes, it it does not stop when you pass legislation. It is about inf- making sure that the folks who are on the ground who are impacted know about their rights or their, their new rights. Um, and so, someone asked the question of um, who are some of the key legislators that you should be looking to. One, I will always say your legislator is important because your legislator is the per- like they are responsible for listening to you. But as we're doing this work, um, Jason, I be- uh, oh Matt lifted up that um, the sponsors of the legislation are Senator LG Sams and Representative Justin Slaughter. Now, it's important for both of them. Um, to thank for them to be the people, um, to be the sponsors of the bill, because they're both the chairs of the CREM law committees in their respective chambers. And so knowing that this is important for them, um, and that they are like, they have the responsibility once a bill, I don't want to get into like schoolhouse rock, but once a bill is put into their committee, they have the right, whether or not to call it, you can put pressure on them because it's their bill. Um, but if you want to look up your legislator, if you want to go to um, the website ilga, after you find who your legislator are is um, R, because you have a House rep in a Senate rep, then go to ilga.gov and um, look at the committees for um, in the House and in the Senate for cram, um, criminal law and see if your legislator is on one of those committees. Um, So I live in Rogers Park. Um, My um, legislator in the house is Representative Kelly Cassidy. So I if I were to go onto the ILGA website, I would see that she is on the Krem Law Committee and she is someone that I could call or write or send an email to. Um, All of them have websites now and they have sections on their websites to be able to like send a letter over to them to let them know, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Senator Peters is a sponsor. I am so sorry. I hope he's not watching this because he will absolutely like ring me, my bad. But he's also still someone who is incredibly important. I'm sorry, I got into a tunnel vision thinking about the, the committees, But yes, Senator Sims is also someone who is still important because he's the chair. Also, someone to also think the folks that you want to think about are folks in leadership. If your legislator is in leadership, um, which is also listed on the ILGA website, they have the power to be able to speak to the president of the Senate and speak to the speaker of the House to be in to go into caucus and have these conversations. And if you have your legislator is a Republican and people are like, well, Republicans don't really care about um, criminal justice, guys, they do. Or thinking about like the the carceral system. Like you can have conversations with both sides of the aisle. um, And it's important for, again, for your legislator to know that they, um, that you are, this is something that's important to you. And not only you, but making sure that folks who also live in in your district also are um, reaching out and talking to them about that. On the non legislative side, I wanna talk about. Um, on the non-legislative side, I um wanna remember to talk about um your local state's attorneys. Um in the city of Chicago, or in, yes, in Cook County, we have um State's attorney Kim Fox. Um, and our sheriff is Tom Dart. And so in Cook County, we have um State's attorney Kim Fox, and um we also have Sheriff Tom Dart. Those are people you can also reach out to. Um Kim Fox is responsible, her office is responsible for charging people. Um, And so um, going into court, deciding bond and bail. And then um, Tom Dart is going to be in charge of the conditions within the jails. Um, Outside of the city of Chicago and out of Cook County, you also can look up like who your person is. It's usually found on your county website that you're able to do that. And finally, I just want to end this with saying that, you know, the governor, um, Governor Governor J.B. Pritzker, when he got into office, this is one of the things that he wanted to work on, um, as well as the lieutenant governor um, and um, Stratton. And this was something that they said that um, was important and part of their platform. Um, and so also reaching out to them to let them know that this is something, um, that is on your, um, on your watch and something that you want, um, you want change on systematic change on, um, and wherever you are in the country, um, know that you have a voice and you have an opportunity to make a change and that your legislators both locally, um, and on the state level should be willing to listen to you and should be willing to um, make change based on your recommendations. And so I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Jason for the next question.
4: Thanks, Naya. And thanks for offering your expertise to us about legislation as so many of us don't know how all that works. So thank you. Uh, There is a question that's a common question. I want to read it how it was written for us. What are the answers for how our society should handle individuals that pose significant and repeated threats to society if we abolish prisons? Uh, mental health facilities, question mark. Uh, this is a big question. Obviously, we don't have time to go into all of the different ways that we address harm uh, in the next couple of minutes, but I wanted to say a few kind of key things. One, we those of us who are abolitionists, we do have a responsibility to wrestle with the question of what do we do about harm that is occurring and violence that happens on an interpersonal level uh, between folks. What I think is essential to recognize is that as abolitionists, we always have been engaging in aspects of that conversation. Sometimes not as well as we should. Uh, There was an amazing statement put out Years ago now, uh, by Critical Resistance and Insight Women of Color Against Violence, really focusing on the impact of sexual and domestic violence on women of color. Uh, and there has been a huge effort to increase the ways in which those of us who are committed to abolition engage in uh, harm reduction work, but also, more importantly, in transformative justice work and in were to prevent violence from happening in the first place. We already know that prisons don't end interpersonal violence. Prisons are, as we heard from Damon and others, are a site of immense violence themselves. For instance, when we put somebody who has perpetrated sexual assault into prisons, we're not ending sexual violence. Prisons are themselves sites of sexual violence from strip searches, to sexual violence by staff, from other prisoners. There is so much sexual harm that happens inside prisons. There's no way that we are ending it by putting, in, putting folks who have committed harm into prisons. So the question itself of what do we do? I get a lot of inspiration from organizations like Generation 5, an organization uh, started by adult survivors of child sexual abuse. are working to end child sexual abuse without prisons and police. They begin, you know, by offering and suggesting that so much violence happens because people don't have access to their basic needs getting met, that ensuring that there is housing for everybody, for everyone, no matter whether you ever worked a day in your life or made a penny or millions of dollars, that everybody gets access to housing, homes to be safe no matter what. And that would make it so that people can get away from those who are perpetrating harm. So often in cases of child sexual abuse, there's an adult who knows what's happening and an adult who's perpetrating what's happening. And the adult who knows what's happening doesn't have access to resources to get away. And that maybe they're making that impossible, impossible choice of saying, I'm going to ensure that all of my children have a place to live and food to eat even while I know my partner is perpetrating sexual violence against one of my children. They're making that impossible choice because we as a society, when I think of how we hold people accountable, it seems to me that we need to hold society accountable for violence. That big S society, right, that we've created here with our nation in the United States runs on an assumption that you only get your basic needs met if you're able to fit into this racial capitalist society and to work uh, and make profits for other people, right? And so if we are shifting and changing the ways in which we organize society, that allows us to have more options of what to do when somebody causes harm. Uh, Miriam Kaba is somebody whose name has come up a bunch. She has uh, this website that's really beautiful called transformharm.org and has an enormous number of resources in it. Mimi Kim is somebody who's really inspired me, was a leader in Insight Women of Color Against Violence and has also created a website called Creative Interventions that has so many, again, resources that we can turn to and ways of engaging those who have caused harm as well as those who uh, have experienced harm in a way that centers the needs of survivors. Our criminal legal system does not and cannot center the needs of survivors. It's not possible. It's not designed to do that. Rather, what it is doing is centering the ways in which we punish and criminalize people. That's the design. And so it's up to us to continuously create new solutions and ways that people can address harm without relying on a system that is rooted in white supremacy, settler colonialism, capitalism, these systems of violence. And so I think For me, one of the biggest parts of this answer is that we will only figure out what to do when people cause harm by doing that work with one another. And that so many of us come into the abolitionist movement from being anti-violence activists. That so many of us were doing work in domestic violence prevention and engagement work. We're doing sexual assault prevention work and saw how policing and prisons don't address those harms. There's a new book uh, that just came out called Prison by Any Other Name or Prison by Another Name. Uh, Vicky Law and Maya Shenwar, the authors of that, that highlight the ways that it's not just prisons and police, but it's a whole carceral apparatus that operates in lots of different ways. So it's up to us to continuously figuring, to continuously figure out ways that we can intervene with each other. And so I'm so thankful that we're talking about transformative justice Uh, And I would love to give an essential shout out to Just Practice, Transformative Justice Mixtape. Mia, who is a member of the board of CCBF, has organized nine webinars that you can register for and uh, get involved in. Miriam Kaba, Mimi Kim, and so many others participated in creating this resource that you can access. And so I encourage people to check out justpractice.org uh, and get connected to some of those resources. So there's 15 hours of content available for you there. Wow, it's a lot. There are steps to end policing and prisons available for you to look at. And there's ways of increasing our own engagement. Police are not designed to actually protect people. Police are designed to protect whiteness, protect property, and to maintain the system as it is. And I look forward to all of us figuring out together the ways that we can do the work to actually transform our communities, address harm, and ensure that those of us who are survivors are centered in healing and not just the punishment of those who have caused harm. Thank you all so much, and I wanna pass it back to Naya.
2: All of the resources were just provided to you, all of them. Every resource that you've ever thought about Your life has just been provided to you by Jason. And like when I tell you that he was doing that as we were like typing that into the chat, come on now, Jason. I want, I should slow down because yes, I'm going to do that. But um, as we go into wrapping this up, I want to start by thanking our ASL translators. For myself, I've never had. Um, translations done, and I know I'm from the South, and people say people from the South talk really fast, but I'm from New Orleans, or real slow, but I'm from New Orleans, but we talk real fast, so I just want to give space to you all. Thank you all so much. Um, We really appreciate you all being here tonight and helping us, making sure that this is an inclusive space, Um, like um, the chat said I know that there were some times that you couldn't see the um, translators because of the um, PowerPoint. We will be sending out a copy of this where you will be able to see um, the translations. But again, want to apologize um, for the hiccup during um, the session. This work is just getting started. Um, If you're just joining us, the the work has been going on, I should say. Um, And you are joining it. Know that it's not too late. Um, that we are so glad to have you here. Um, and I want to thank everyone who's been here tonight, Damon, Jason, Sarlin, um, Matt, um, Pisa behind the scenes, Mia behind the scenes. Um, I hope that I'm not forgetting anyone, on, everyone on our board, everyone who works at CCBF, you all for joining us tonight. I want to end on this quote um that Miriam Kaba is like she has she is in this space tonight. Um we've mentioned her name um I, more than three times and if you mention her name more than three times like um hope <laughs> comes into the space. Um so she often says hope is a discipline. Take that with you tonight. Um take that with you tomorrow and we are again so grateful that you are here. Um I don't think there's Oh, there we go. And so, yes, hope is a discipline. Um, and thank you all so much. If you all want any more information about us, you can go to info at chicagobond.org. Um, info at chicagobond.org. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, um, and Twitter. Um <laughs> like and subscribe, give us five stars. Um, <laughs> and we really appreciate you all being here and also visit our website. Thank you all so much. Have a wonderful night. Please be as safe as you can. Oh, and I'm inviting everyone to get on video to say goodbye. Everyone get on video to say goodbye. That's <laughs> what <when> you read. <laughs> The the silent part came out loud. (laughs) Thank you all so much for just letting me be me tonight. And as you can see, I'm wearing my yellow glasses with my black outfit. (laughs) Because these are our colors. Thanks, everyone.
0: (laughs) My nigga just made bail. My nigga just made bail.
2: Follow, got to free mind, and everything will follow, got
0: to free mind, and everything will follow, got to free mind, and everything will